Uh, welcome to today's group call with Gail Pelto and me, Mike Husson, and we're here today to talk to you about negotiating, win-win negotiating, and the psychology of influence, a very, very important topic. Um, and before I get on, uh, the before we kick this call off, um, if you guys have any questions, whether it relates to Gail or not, I kind of emphasize that in my email to you all. Um, please, you know, bring them up. Maybe you're dealing with a particular issue, challenge. Maybe you've had some experiences in the past that you want to try to overcome. Maybe we didn't cover it here today. Um, you know, please make sure that you address it. We'll, we'll, we'll stay here as long as we can, you know, maybe up to 45 minutes if necessary. If it goes longer, that's okay. It depends on Gail. I don't know what her schedule might be like, but, uh, you know, this is an open line. We're going to go through a, a, some bullets. Gail's going to go from there and then at the end um, you know we'll open it up and any feedback thoughts comments would be great okay so again I want to welcome everybody to today's call and this is an important topic you know Gail and I've been talking about this and and she's had some great uh, success in the last couple of weeks or so um, you know putting deals under contract but I noticed one thing with Gail that she's um, always thinking outside the box but also keep making sure all her T's are crossed, all her I's are dotted on her transactions. And it just doesn't relate to just that, guys, as it relates to negotiating transactions. Um, fundamentally, they've got to be win-win, okay? And, and what that might mean to a lot of people it could be a lot of different things. But uh, my belief, and I believe Gail is on the same page here, is that there's more to it than just crossing the T's and dotting the I's and making – can you hear me? Uh-oh. Can anybody hear me? I can hear you, yeah. You're here. Hello. Yeah, I am not on the call. Somehow you're, you all just disappeared. You're there, Gail. If you can hear me. Can anybody else say they hear me? Elijah, you hear us? Yes, sir. I hear you. Great. Okay, well, I, hear I can you. hear you. I hear you. Okay, great. <laughs> My main speaker, she's fallen off the face of the earth. Let her have. Let me tell her to redial in. Hello. Um, Hello. Dial back in. Dial back in. Okay. All right, guys. So, um, so we're still here. So I'm going to go back to this uh, thought today, and um, what I want to make sure that we understand is two, uh, two, a couple of things. I wouldn't say two things, but there's a couple of things, okay? And the couple of things are this, is one, we're in a changing market, and I hear it from my clients, uh, you know, as an ongoing thing now, at least in the last month or so, there's been some slowdown, and I get that, and uh, part of it is obviously the uh, we're at a peak in our market, and we're shifting um, in that, uh, you know, prices have gone up. They've, they've uh, somewhat gone to I'm critical back. mass. Okay, great. You're here. Great. All right. So, um, and so that's very important to understand that what that means is whatever we go out and get transactions, we got to be the very best we can at keeping the ones that we do get. Even if it's a slowdown, the market's shifting and so on, uh, we've got to be fully prepared for that. So um, I want to make sure that we, we get this thing buttoned down and it's not going to happen in just this call only, albeit there's going to be some terrific ideas that I know Gail will shell, uh, share with us, but it's really important that you guys really hone on this particular skill. The other thing I did before I, I got uh, digressed there is this is, a, as I said, not about just crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Uh, negotiation. Me, Mike, I, is, I can you hear me? Okay, because I, I'm I can not hear you. hearing you. Okay. Okay. Because okay. you're going in and out. I'm going to hang up again and dial in one more time. Okay. Go ahead. Right. No problem. So um, what we want to make sure is to understand that it is about a relationship. More than ever before, what's going to have people hold on to you and, and you're going to create the opportunities versus somebody else is really how you interact in these conversations with people, making sure it's win-win, making sure that you're communicating not only with your clients, but all of the parties involved. That includes mortgage, it includes title, and equally, if not more important, the other agent if you're communicating with other agents on the other side of the table. 
So it's very, very important that we understand the tactical side, of course, but strategically we have to understand that this is about relationships. So um, that being said, I'm going to pass this on to Gail. Um, Gail, just a quick background. Okay, great. Just a quick background, if you will, on um, what you're doing and what you do. And, guys, if you can, on your backside, maybe you could just hit the mute button on your phone, and that way I can mute out the call. But I think Gail is on the general line here, so I don't want to mute her out in case I do. So if you guys want to mute out your calls, okay, that's that's fine. That's I came right. in on the host host line again, so it's okay. Okay, great. I uh, uh, a little background about where I am and how I got here and all this stuff. I've been doing. I uh, have uh, been doing real estate for about eight years and actually started uh, cold calling, geo farming uh, for listings, and. I have a background about 30 years plus in sales prior to that, so I've always been in that kind of customer service um, mindset of taking care of my people because I realize that if I take care of them, all my goals will happen. And Mike and I have talked about negotiating over the uh, plenty of months and years of, of working with him as my coach, and I actually teach a class on negotiating. We kind of looked at it just from from everything. It's not just negotiating um, contracts. That's, that's certainly a big part of it, but the actual negotiation starts on your first phone call. Um, whether it's working with a buyer and setting up an appointment and then going through the buyer brokerage agreement, the exclusive agreement saying that they are going to work with you, your listing agreement, and then of course uh, your contracts. And um, I think the the big thing on all of those is that negotiation is a discussion and it's aimed at reaching an agreement and so that everybody is on that win-win page whether you're working with a client or whether you're working with the agent on the other side of a transaction. Everybody's got to win. Both agents, buyer and seller, everybody's got to win. I don't know where you want me to, to go from, from here on this or just start with the listing agreement, Mike? Yeah, Gail, yeah, Gail, let's uh, go with it uh, however you feel and just use the go with it. Yep, you're fine. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. The um the first thing is how you show up, really. And um I'm talking about what you look like and even though somebody telling a book by its cover is not necessarily right, it happens. So Showing up and, and looking like a professional is, is the number one thing. And I'm coming to you saying that from a gal who was the first one who had purple hair and a brush cut in the early 80s. So I'm giving away my age now and how much explaining I had to do to overcompensate for how I looked because I didn't look like the professional that showed up. So I think that very first appointment, you need to look like you know what you're doing, whether you do or not it's going to make a, a huge difference on how your conversation goes. So because I work with listings primarily, um, let's talk a little bit about the listing agreement and uh, pre-qualifying before you show up so that it's worth your time. But there's certain things on the listing agreement that you have to negotiate. One's the length of the listing agreement. And I'm sure we've all had appointments where they say, well, I'll list it with you for two months, right? Well, no. Um, the price that you're actually going to set, um, the commission that you're going to be paid, what happens after the termination date of the of the agreement, um, if a buyer comes back a week later who saw it, and are you out of the loop or do you get to get paid, the compensation that you're going to pay out to other brokerages, uh, cancellation fee, and any additional terms that might be in that agreement. So, um, of course, the, my listing agreements primarily go for six months, sometimes longer, depending on the property and what the average days on market is for, for uh, past sales in there. Of course, the price, and that's a, a negotiating thing. And I think if you know your scripts and you know your market, um, having your seller agree to an appropriate list price 
is key. I mean that I mean, that's key. I mean we all work for free until it closes. So you your job is to get the property sold and to find out the motivation of your seller and let them give them all the information so when you ask them what price do you think we should set on your home that they come up with the right answer which has a lot to do with what you know going into there. Um, the fact that you're going to use a lockbox system. I know that in my market, sometimes when I get into the higher priced um, neighborhoods, they want the agent to be there, even though the client is walking in with another qualified agent. And sometimes I can negotiate that lockbox in there, and sometimes I hire a showing agent to go unlock the door for these people. Um, but if you can get them to allow you to put the lockbox in there and assure them that you're not sending anybody in there who's going to pocket all their you know, figurines from grandma and walk away with all that stuff, um, that's good because it gets, allows them to get as many qualified buyers in as possible. And the fact that you're going to withhold verbal offers, I don't allow verbal offers on the first part of a transaction. I want to know for my client's sake whether or not all the, if it's as is or if they want you know, an extended closing date or whatever. So I'm not just going to say, hey, will you take 500000 We want to know all the terms and conditions and getting the other party to actually write it all down will tell us that they're a more serious buyer. So you know, that's a part of the thing that's also on the listing agreement. Compensation, um, that's always a big one. I'm sure all of you, as well as myself, they've said, will you lower your commission? So knowing how to answer that question and knowing how to educate them on how the commission works. So standard commission for me is 6%. And oftentimes your seller thinks that whole 6% ends up in your pocket. So sometimes you have to educate them how that gets split out what you have to pay your broker, what you're going to pay the other agent, what the costs are involved. And then after you get your commission split, maybe it's actually 40% of that that actually goes home with you to feed yourself and your family. And go on trips like to Paris and stuff like that. Um, if uh, retained deposits, that's another thing. Let's say you get something in, in under contract and the deal falls apart and the deposit they put down, whether it was $2,000 or $10,000, is going to stay with your seller. Uh, we split that 50% with the seller because of the work that we were involved with it as well. Uh, and what you're going to pay out to other cooperating uh, brokers. So what you're going to pay on the other side. And uh, on my listing agreements, I put up to 3% because I don't pay out usually 50-50. Um, and on a um, no brokerage relationship, I lower it even further since they don't have any liability concerns. And then whatever additional terms that you have on there. Are they selling it furnished? Um, do they need an extended closing date? Do they, um, all those other things that you have to talk about is to make sure that you negotiate all of them in there. So by the time you get to the appointment, if you've done your due diligence on the front end and you've done your pre-qualifying, the negotiating of the actual listing agreement should be fairly easy. Uh, and on occasion, you'll show up and it's all signed and ready for you to go and it's those wonderful you know, two, three minute listing appointments and you walk out the door with the listing. If you don't do that, then you have to do a heck of a lot more talking when you get there, which kind of wastes some valuable, valuable time. So for me, the listing agreement has, because I've done enough of them now and because I role play with Elijah who's on the call, we, we role play our listing presentations, um, it gets a little bit easier, especially when you've gotten some objections and you've learned how to handle them. Um, and that's the big thing too. When you get an objection and all of a sudden you walk out there without the listing agreement, go find out how to handle it next time because it's going to come up again, whatever it was and you want to make sure that you walk out with that listing agreement. The second part of negotiating um, is, is on the buyer side. And because I didn't do a lot of buyers when I first started out, I was on a team and we had buyer's agents. Um, 
I worked with Mike a lot on this, on actually setting up the appointment, kind of going over how you work and to bring them in, have them come in with a pre-approval letter from their uh, lender or proof of funds if they're a cash buyer, um, and setting up a convenient time on your calendar, just like you would do a listing appointment. You know, when could you come in? I've got time today at 3 or would 5 be better? Um, give them a choice of times, and then make sure that all the decision makers are there. So just getting all that set up in front, again, makes it all easier and doesn't waste your client's time as well as your own. And then the other big thing, which I just find, since I've gotten in this business, I just find it amazing that people who work with buyers don't get an exclusive buyer brokerage agreement signed. For mm. those of you who don't know what that is, you, you really need to figure that out. And, and they'll take listings, right? And, that, and they know they'll get a listing agreement, but there's this fear about getting an exclusive buyer brokerage agreement signed. And then, but everybody gets burned who doesn't do that. Somebody walks into a for sale by owner or they walk into new construction and the next thing you know, you get a text message that says, hey, thanks for your help. We found a house. We just signed a contract. And you're out of the loop. So um, when I do my exclusive buyer brokerage agreement, because it can be daunting to the person on the other side, especially if they first met you, I go over my service commitment, which I equate to what your marketing plan of action is for a listing. And it's those items that I say I'm going to do for them and why they're hiring me to make sure we get them the best property at the best price. And then after I go through all of that and initial all of that and give that to them, then I go over the exclusive buyer brokerage agreement, and then that makes it a heck of a lot easier. I do my agreements for a year. I don't, I don't care if they say they're buying in two weeks. I do it for a year, starting the day of that appointment to a year from that date. Um, type of property, I just put residential in. Location, I put the state of Florida. <laughs> so I don't just do it in my marketplace that I work. I do it for the whole state of Florida. And if they say their um, budget is 500000 I do it from zero to $5 Because, you know, I'm figuring, you know, they might be lucky and win the lotto tomorrow and their price point will go up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and then what I do do, I, I don't know, and those of you who have this form in your other states, I don't know if you have the sentence, but there's a part on there that says the buyer will pay the broker a non-refundable retainer fee of X and that you can, uh, that it'll be um, credited to the buyer if the compensation is earned by the broker as specified in the rest of the agreement, meaning if they get a commission. I usually, I don't usually, I always write down $1,000 and then I cross it out and I say I'm going to waive our retainer. Um, it's kind of a giving them something back thing. Mm. Um, and I think it just kind of eases, eases the pain a little bit. I used to do this when I was in... Um, event planning. I would put that on my contracts, like, you know, client will use club bud vases at no charge, right? I, I would, I would, you know, or charge waived, no plate, no cake cutting fee, stuff like that, because then people feel like they're getting something, that they're not just giving something. And, and again, that's just me. You guys do it however, however way you want it. And then I, I put down my minimum commission. My minimum commission is 3%. And which means if the buyer, if the seller side is paying out 2.5, then that half percent is absorbed by the, by the buyer. And it'll show up in their estimated net sheet once we get under contract. So there's no, no question about that. And I, earlier I said I put the state of Florida because in my special clauses, I'll put something like should buyer decide to purchase a home in the state of Florida and outside my association, then I agree to interview agents in that area and refer the buyers to that agent. And then if I receive a referral fee for the buyer's transaction, then the compensation due, as noticed in this agreement, would be waived. So if they come looking in here and then they go, ooh, it's 31 degrees this morning, I'm moving down to where Elijah lives, then uh, I'm going to interview an agent 
and do a referral fee, and then whatever compensation was on here would be waived because they went out of my, my area. Um, there are so many agents. There are 450 agents in my office, and I'll bet you less than 10% of them, maybe even less than 5%, actually get a buyer brokerage agreement signed. Uh, if you're worth your weight in gold, right, and, and you want to work with fr for free, then don't get it signed. But if you want to get compensated for all the work you're going to do on the front end, then I think it's, it's crucial that you sit down and go through this. But you have to tell them what you're going to do for them so that they know you're worth this. If it's somebody that I don't feel a connection with at the, um, the actual consultation in the beginning, I'll go out and show them two to three houses, and at the third house, I'll say, so I really want to work with you. Do you want to work with me? And if they say yes, then I'll start this process. But if they don't sign it, I don't go out again. It's just I, it, I, they're, they're telling me that they're not going to guarantee that I'm going to be compensated for the work that I'm going to do for them. And I would rather just go get on the phone and get another listing and get that agreement signed than drive around for, you know, 27 hours in a car, which would <laughs> never happen. Gail, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick yeah. question on that note there. Um, yeah. I know you work with a lot of high-end buyers, you know, the million, two, whatever, in that window, above a million. Um, are these buyers signing an agreement too, and is there any differentiating factor between the person spending, let's say, 300000 versus one, two, or three million dollars. Do you find that you're uh, any any should you is it like awkward to present to the guys and that are looking to buy the expensive homes that you're going to put them under contract because they're spending that much money? How dare you, kind of a thing? Or do you do it no. with everybody? Yeah, <laughs> I do it with okay. everybody. And, okay. and, and I'll tell a little story here. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentor new, some new agents in our office, and so one of my uh, mentees who uh, had never uh, dealt in the realm of multi-million dollar homes, uh, but has more chutzpah than anybody I know, got on the phone and called an expired listing. So Horse Farm was listed at $2.5 million, and she got the appointment, and she was scared to death to go on, a, on the appointment. So she said, will you co-list it with me? And I said, sure. And so we, we put our listing package together. She delivered it out there. On the way out, I said, I'm, I am not going to take half of your listing. I will coach you through it. I'll do it for 25% instead of 50%, but we're going to go out and get this listing. So we go out there, 60-acre farm, beautiful, you know, 7,000-square-foot home. The guy answers the door. He's in t-shirts and swim trunks, a little bit older. We go through all of it. We get the listing. We get back in the car. We're driving back, and I go, so what difference did you see in this appointment? And she goes, none. I go, the only difference is where that decimal point is. They're mm -hmm. all humans. They're all humans. So um, they, you know, in the multi-million dollar range too, you, a lot, you get a lot more business owners as opposed to people who work for other businesses. And they would never do their services for free for somebody else. I, I think that people who are in business probably respect the fact that you come in there as a professional with an agreement mm. and with a service commitment and a process of how you're going to help them get the best deal. They like that. So I yeah. I think, yeah, that, yeah I th you come in as a professional. I can remember the first house that I listed when I was not in real estate, and the girl just showed up with a listing agreement, right? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and now I've had enough experience under my belt that I get people that say, oh my gosh, I've never had this before. I've bought five houses. I can't believe you brought this, you know. You know, and then the icing on the cake is the handwritten thank you note, and this sealed the deal. You just come off like you know what you're doing and that you're doing it full time. And uh, there is no difference with how those people eat, drink, or go to the bathroom. And there's no <laughs> difference in the process of selling their home. The process is the same. It's just the payoff is a little bit greater which is nice. Um, don't get stuck in that. Don't say, oh, I'm just going to go sell a couple million dollar homes. They take, they, take, they take a while longer sometimes to sell because the number of people who can afford them is a smaller buyer pool. So use that as the icing on the cake. 
<laughs> sure. and then follow up with them and make sure you don't let them go by the wayside because they might buy another one down the road. Um, but yeah, to answer your question in long form, no difference except the decimal point in my, in my head. Yeah, so negotiating through that, and guys, this is, you know, don't take it this is just a system and a process, albeit it is, but you're negotiating your relationship, right, Gail, with these people by presenting, because Gail goes through the steps that I talk about with my clients that, you know, you meet them, and she said it, I don't want to be overly redundant here, but she takes them and says, this is how I work. And when you say that, you're opening up the opportunity to negotiate terms that are going to be good for both you and them versus just about them. You know, well, nobody, has ever, nobody else has ever signed. I never signed an agreement with another agent. Well, this is how I work. If you want to work this way, that's great. And really, you're negotiating and you're positioning yourself as the authority. And when people recognize that, when it's done simply, but yet formidably, people will want to do business with you because that's what they're here to do. This is the, one of the biggest investments most people will make in their whole lives. And when you come in with that posture and that positioning, you're going to get it high. So that, I love that, Gil. Thanks for saying that. You can continue on with your – I just want to bring that out. But any thoughts on that? Well, that comes with that um, first six rudiments of persuasion, the psychology mm-hmm. of persuasion and influence, right? is yeah. authority, that, that we are more likely to comply with a request if it is coming for, from a perceived authority or expert in the field. So if you come in there as the expert or perceived expert, right, fake it till you make it, then people are more likely to sign the things that you bring to them. They're hiring you because it's a pro, right? If they, think they, if they thought they could do it themselves, they'd come out as a, a for sale by owner. So they think they're hiring the expert, so you need to show up as the expert. And if you show up as the expert and you've got all your ducks in a row, then getting them to sign the agreements is, is, is the easy part. But you've got you to show up letting them know what you're doing. Um, so the, the, the first thing, the rudiment, we were talking about, I, I cross out the $1,000 retainer fee. That's the number one rudiment of pers- persuasion, which is reciprocity. People feel obliged to give if we've been given something. Uh, the second one is scarcity, right? Antiques, artworks, and trophy properties are all examples of scarcity, persuading people to act. The authority we just went over. Consistency. People tend to gravitate towards and feel more comfortable in situations that are consistent over time. This is why treating the other broker like an enemy will backfire. That's a, that's a big one. Again, if you've been in this business a long time, you have done business or you have been with an agent or you have been that agent um, where you think it's a fight to get it to closing. Um, and it's not. Negotiations... You know, the, the definition is it's a discussion aimed at reaching an agreement. So it's that win-win thing. There's no, there shouldn't be a loser, you know. So that, that's huge. Uh, and liking. Everyone likes people who are similar to themselves. And studies have shown that in group preference is positively correlated with persuasion. That's where that whole teaching thing of mirror and matching comes in. Know, where you're, know, know who you're talking to. Right. If you get somebody who's that that um, well, for in the disc profile, it's compliant. What's the DEAA? What's the um, accountable? Mm-hmm. Mike. So if you get yeah. into a situation when you talk to somebody on the phone and they're all about getting all the information, get the T's crossed and the I's dotted, then you need to show up with some stats. Right? Because they they want to see the stats. And if you're doing price reductions, they need to see the stats. I just had a closing with somebody like that, right? And we had to do a price reduction. When we went on market, there was 11 months, four months of inventory. Two months later, there were 11 months of inventory. So just like that, it went from a seller's market to a buyer's market. Mm. And everything stopped. But I had to come with, with stats, which I could print off of my MLS. So know that person you're talking to. Driver personalities. <laughs> and you know me. Hi, hi, right? Driver <laughs> personalities just throw me for a loop. But they're bottom line people. All right, just tell me the bottom line. How much can you sell this thing for, right? So you need to know who, who you're talking to and, and get, them, get on the same page with them. 
And then consensus. If you have a reputation as a great agent to work with, more agents will want to work with you, and as a result, you'll gain leverage in negotiations. So those are all, all pretty, uh, pretty powerful. Learn the power of no. This is, uh, yes is a horrible word. It scares people. They wonder what they've committed themselves to. They become nervous. They become distracted. And when you're distracted, they're not listening to you. And this is from a guy, a quote from a guy named Chris Voss, who was a hostage negotiating. So this is getting a no that will actually move you forward through, uh, um, moves you forward. You want an agreement. Agreement is not necessarily through yes, because again, we're so used to being trapped by yes. So that, that's an interesting one. Um, price anchoring, to find somebody's lowest price, right? Um, so, hey, Jim, I'm taking a look at the numbers and don't kick me out of here, but our initial glance is somewhere around 250000 And he responds, Matt, I told you I wanted 350 No way 250 works. I won't take a penny less than 300 right? So just like that, you find <laughs> out that they will come down fifty grand. Um Learn what the other party needs from the deal. This is important. So let's say you're working with a buyer. You want to call the you want to call the seller's agent for a couple reasons. A, to let them know that you're writing up an offer on the property, so that if they get another offer, they'll wait for yours. You don't want to lose it. But also see if there's any terms or conditions that the seller needs. Like, do they need to close really fast? Um, do they need a contingency for them to find, uh, to find a new home? And, and, then, and then also take the time to tell the agent a, a story um, about the buyer and that, uh, that they're pre-approved or they're a cash buyer or giving them a little warm and fuzzy because it just makes that conversation as you're negotiating the contract go a little bit easier. And if you find out some stuff about what the seller needs up front ahead of writing it all out, you might be able to save yourself some time when you're actually doing the contract. The other thing too is, is whether you're working with a buyer or a seller, it's, it's vital that the other side of the table never thinks that um, on the buyer side this is their favorite home and it's the only home. Because right? now, now you are showing your cards, right? Or that the, if you're the listing agent, that the seller is desperate to sell their home because then that lowball offer comes in. So just stay a little nonchalant on that part of it. Oh, and here's another one. This is a huge pet peeve unless somebody wants this. So um, we're all big into texting and emails now. But in a voice-to-voice -voice conversation, whether it's face-to-face -face or on the phone, um, it, it, you get a more natural back and forth, and the understanding comes out, and those things can be essential. So at all costs, avoid doing everything on text or email. Get voice-to-voice -voice all the time with your client, especially if you're presenting an offer you've got a listing and you're presenting an offer, just don't just email the offer. <laughs> Call right. them up. Get excited. Oh my gosh, great news, we got an offer. Right? Don't give them the price. Tell them all the good things. They, you know, it's a cash offer. There's no financing contingency. They don't want you to pay for a home warranty. They put down that they want to close on or before December 1st. So if you want to close next week, they can do it. If you need to wait until January 1st, they're flexible. Tell them all the good stuff, and then get to that lowball price at the end, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell them all the good things, right? And get excited on the phone. It's so important, so, so, so important. You, I mean, so you can't, you can't make the distinction with the written word versus the sound of a voice. It's right. a huge difference, guys. Yeah, it's so... I mean, today more than ever before, you know, well, they want to do this, and you're going back and forth on text, but there's no emotion in that, just a bunch of typewritten words that I don't want, right? I don't want to see this. You know, I want to see that, right? So, it's, so you have to you – can, you can explain some things with a, with a text such as, hey, Gail, give me a call. I need to talk to you about this offer. Well, what is it? When we speak, we'll talk about it. Thanks. Here's my number. Here's my, the best time to call me, etc. But engage that conversation, if I'm hearing you, Gail, uh, via the phone or face-to-face, -face, whatever you've got to do. But not, you can't negotiate 
the final negotiation is the signed contract, right? And you can't negotiate it. it in text or in email. You can articulate right. some things, but, you know, maybe to clean up maybe something or an item here again, but really, guys, Gail has hit it on the head there. You've got to, that enthusiasm, that energy, that explanation of something um, to the agents that you're dealing with that she mentioned and to the sellers and the buyers, do it on the phone. They can't, well, I only do things by text. That's a bunch of horse malarkey. That's this cop-out. They don't want to deal with anything. And so it is your obligation and your authority that says, guys, this is how I'm going to work on negotiating this transaction. We must communicate via phone. If they're insistent on only text, don't negotiate. Uh, what else is there, Gail? We're not going to negotiate via text. We're not going to negotiate repairs, challenges with inspection reports. You know, this is what they said, and this is the numbers. You've got to get them on the phone, guys, one way, shape, or form. And I made this error the other day. I sent back, I sent my client, I said, you know, uh, here's the re- repair request, right? I, I, I told them we gotten the, uh, the uh, inspection and the repair request back, and I was going to send it to them, right? And I didn't explain more on the phone. So when I sent him the repair request and the inspection, he bypassed the request, which was minimal, and then opened the inspection report, you know, and there was that red typed writing on every page. He was like, oh, my God, they're nickel and dime. And he went, oh, never mind. I opened the other one. But, I mean, we, we could have avoided all that if I would have just told him a little bit more. Listen, there's just some minor electrical things on the inside of the house. Probably the most expensive thing will be uh, some of the tiles on the roof are cracked and need to be either sealed or replaced. And I didn't finish that conversation, so, you know, he blew a gasket, and so I could have saved him from that. So mm-hmm. uh, if you send a contract over and you type in giant letters, great news, we have a contract, blah, 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 they're going to skip the rest of the email and just open the offer. And then when they open the offer, they're going to go directly to the price. They're not going to look at any of the good things that came with it. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever have your buyers um, in, or thought about it? I suggest this every now and again if you're in competing offers um, to negotiate for your buyers in their best behalf that they write a cover letter maybe as to why they want the house. Not sounding overly needy, uh, but at the same time, you know, this is a, we love your home and this is a great place. Have you ever thought about doing that or do you do that, Gail, have, just out of curiosity? Have done- have done it with the uh-huh. few of the buyers that I've done. I've done that. The other thing, um, too, if you know there's competing offers, you can do an escalation clause mm-hmm. where um, where you put in it and say, you know, we'll increase um, our offer by $10,000 over your highest offer not to exceed X. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yep. you know, if, if it's a $200,000 property and you're getting multiple offers and you go back in and go 225000 and if you get an offer higher than this, we'll beat it by $10,000 to a maximum of two fifty or whatever it mm-hmm. is. So, right. Um, and a lot of agents don't know to do that. that that's an ability. So... Um, and basically, you'd say, uh, we hereby instate an, ex- an escalation clause, right? Buyer, Bob Smith, is willing to pay $10,000 higher than your highest written offer, but not to exceed $500,000, a copy of the highest written offer to be sent along with acceptance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you've got to see that other offer, right? Right. This is interesting, Love too. It. I got this from uh, Barbara Corcoran. She says, take your fiduciary duty seriously. You need to make every possible effort to get your client a better price. Negotiation is like dating. There's got to be some romance. If the guy gets the girl home on the first date, it's too easy and the relationship doesn't last. Nothing poisons a deal faster, she added, that when the asking price is immediately accepted or when a buyer's first bid is accepted, either the seller feels he's underpriced his home or the buyer feels he's offered too much money for it. Mm. Rather than work on the relationship a bit, the buyer and seller tend to drift apart. So that's interesting when you're doing contracts. It's like, okay, so they offered me full price. I must not have priced it high enough. 
Yep. You know, or they accepted our offer. Shoot, I gave them too much. So that that can that that's an interesting interesting thing to to deal with. Well, like the investors, they do that. I mean, they if they oftentimes if they're um, you know making an offer on a property for themselves or a client, and you're working with an investor. And mm-hmm. they come in and, um, you know, they make the offer and it's immediately accepted. They shoot themselves. <laughs> oh, my gosh, exactly. I offered too much. I could have probably gotten this for a lot less money, right? right. And, of course, a right. smart investor, when that does happen, will go back and renegotiate. I don't want to get into the te- details of that, but they'll renegotiate a lower uh, offer later once they get it under contract and they tied it up, things like that. But that's a separate uh, discussion on that piece there. But, uh yeah, I love what uh, Barbara says there. Very important. Good. It's very Guys, important. Guys, you know, this is a, uh, and, and I think to that point, uh, this is a, uh, you're building a relationship here with people, as I said early on in the call, and that's, again, it's not just about the number. It's about how we present. And, I, you know, I wrote down, Gail said, you know, personality styles, knowing them are radically important. And, uh, and, and how you present uh, will get the offer accepted or denied and oftentimes denied. it's because you didn't rapport with them and you didn't report them because you were trying to sell them on yourself which is fine but you were trying to sell it the way you sell things like me i walk into a into a deal i'm i'm a china i'm a, a pit bull in a china shop and i'm dealing with an amiable sitting on the corner there and they're going to say oh mike you're so enthusiastic i love your energy and you're such a bottom line kind of guy but we say no because I didn't rapport with that individual. So that's a very, very important uh, element there, uh, what you said, Gail. And this relationship thing is very, very important, um, that you get engaged with people at a very high level. And you'll negotiate better when you do that, and they'll respect you more as a result. I believe that more than anything. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and you have to look to, and then when you get to the contract part where you're, where you're writing a contract, let's say for a buyer, you have to really look at how, how do we make this attractive to the seller, right? Not mm. how can we get as much as we can get. It's like, how is this going to be a win-win? So, you know, maybe you go in as is, right? You can do with a right to inspect, right to cancel, but maybe go in as is. Maybe you're coming down a little bit lower than market value. Go in and don't ask for a whole bunch of stuff. Or maybe you, you, want, you want to give them more and you want them to pay for stuff. You want them to pay for some of the buyer's closing costs. You want them to pay for a home warranty. You want some of the furniture. Um, so you have to kind of finesse that way and say, okay, this is a great price. You have to know because you're the expert, right? So you know whether the, that, that property is, is priced over market value or under market value. And if it's at market value, how can you make your offer more attractive. Very important. The, yeah. Yeah. And I guess the bottom line on all of this is, you know, there's just four things, right? Or three things. Be the expert. Be the calming influence. When you're dealing with residential sales, emotions get high. And and it would if when you're doing it too, it's probably your biggest, if not one of the biggest um, investments that you make is in is purchasing or selling a home, and so emotions get in there because it's your it's your it's your pocketbook. So your job as the real estate agent is to be the calming influence. That was probably the best advice that I got when I got into real estate. Bring mm-hmm. everybody back down to center, right? Say, okay, let's look at this from all sides. What's the pros and cons of this? Um, and then the, the biggest thing is have enough business so that you're not attached to the outcome. Because mm. your so focus very has important. to be, yeah, <laughs> your focus has got to be on them, not on your commission check. If you if you focus on them and getting them where they need to be, whether you work on the buyer or seller, your 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 checkbook will will grow. It'll take care of itself. But don't be attached to the outcome. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, that's oh, such God. a that's a yeah, that's such a challenge right there, Gail. And and to Gail's point, you know, if you have something, listen, are you going to get every deal signed? I believe you can, right? But the reality yeah. is, no. You, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, but that belief doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be attached, 
right? And you got, right. and, and here's the thing about that, and I, I reiterate this with everybody when it comes to about this discussion on being attached. The minute you are attached to the outcome is the minute you lose focus on creating win-win opportunities. You don't listen to what they want, what they need, their desires, and so on. You, for, you, you kind of skip over that because you're looking over their head to the commission on the other side of that door, which may or may not be there. What we've got to focus in on is not being attached. Yes, of course, you want to get the deal and that you want to achieve your goals should not be out of your mind. But when you're into negotiation, you've got, you got to be carefully looking at those areas that will enable you to get those transactions signed. And I hear Gail all the time when she talks to me on our coaching calls, you know, it's about them, it's about them, it's about them. And I never hear her say, and I, you know, and everybody would probably go down this path, but I don't hear her say, you know, well, I, I got, I'm going to get this big commission if I get this deal closed. No, it's about managing the transaction, managing the negotiation. She had a client, if I can remember coming from out of town, they were in their truck and they had a trailer and, and there was a... <laughs> You know the things there that were two going dogs. on, but two dogs. yeah, two yeah, two <laughs> dogs, and and you know, and and that had to be negotiated, right? That that emotion, because as we're talking here, guys, and whether you're selling investment properties or buying and selling homes or you're doing retail, all of these factors lie in play here in in the importance of this, and it's really I'll when finish, you can just I'll real quick when, story a little bit. Because you didn't – the part about the people coming down here in the trailer and two dogs is the wife had a heart attack on the way down mm, five hours right. from here and ended up in the hospital, and she's on the mortgage. And so closing is supposed to be the next day. So that's the part Mike forgot to put in there. I had to fill that in. Keep going. <laughs> no, no. That, I, mean, that, I mean, see, those simple things right there and are being aware, and write this down, guys, being aware of other people's circumstances. And as Gail mentioned, you know, this is an emotional business in and of itself. You know, we're not selling widgets here and, and nails and screws. We're selling people. And not only do we have to engage on that emotion, we have to understand how they're feeling. You know, I'm negotiating a deal here. And, okay, fine. And then I also have to keep in consideration that these people have to pack a box. They're going to take their kids out of a school. They've got to relocate, get to know neighbors. And there's a number of factors that are going on inside of their minds. And if we can understand understand that and, 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 and express that to them, your understanding, being compassionate towards that end, they're going to say, I'll take a little bit less more, a little bit less of a price, or I'll pay a little bit more because now I can see myself getting there because you're helping me through this whole process mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and of course, physically, uh, because that's a whole important, uh, you know, all of these things are important factors. So... Yeah. Yeah, what's the name of that book? Uh, Cialdini? Guys, um, write yeah, this down. If you um, haven't gotten it yet, get these books. It, it, um, it's Influence, uh, the, the Power of Persuasion. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. Uh, Cialdini's last name is C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I. It's the Psychology yeah. of Persuasion. Yeah, Influence. The First name is Robert. Persuasion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the other one is uh, Chris Voss, which he wrote is um, right here. I got it in my Audible. Let me just go back to my library. But it's called um, Never Split the Difference with Chris Voss. Yeah, and then the other one for dealing with personalities, and I think you told me about this, was uh, Versatile Selling. Yeah, Versatile Selling. Great yep. little book. Yeah. You can't get that on um, an Audible or um, – you can get it Kindle, on Amazon you have, for like 15 yeah, bucks or something. Yeah, you have to get it on. you got to get the hard copy. And it's uh, the Wilson Group wrote that book. And then Disc Profile for, you know, uh, we're going to be doing something down the road here um, in the coming year, maybe towards, maybe in December we might be doing something. But uh, one of my partners is uh, John Gale. You know him. Um, he's certified Disc uh, in profiling people and at a very deep level though and that's a very important area guys understanding personality styles will help you negotiate through anything at a higher level than anybody else 
and and you'll see that as you learn it and apply it it's uh, and it's not frankly it's not difficult once you just categorize people and you understand you can figure out how they speak how they walk how they talk um, you know their comments their words their body language will tell you very quickly uh, how to present and to how to better work with them and negotiate with them so um, very very powerful well you want to Gail. open this up to any questions Yep, at all? I do, I do, I do. So, guys, let me un- unmute all of you guys. If anybody all unmuted. So if you guys have any questions, anybody have any questions, pressing needs, questions for Gail, uh, ridicules are welcome as well. You know, we're good with that. Uh, this Girl, is Elijah. Please. Go ahead, Elias. <laughs> Sorry, somebody was – anyways. This is not a question, but this is something that uh, you brought up uh, with the power of persuasion and uh, reading these books. I found it useful for myself to listen to uh, 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 criminals being uh, interrogated by detectives and uh, found it useful for selling the way the detectives um, uh, use their voice or how they pose the question or make the uh, criminal feel a certain way so that they could open up and tell the truth. I just wanted to throw that out there, but uh, mm-hmm. this was a yep. great call. Yep, yep, absolutely. And then to your point there, Elijah, is, is you know, you, off, you see that, that uh, alliance that they have with their personality styles, and you'll notice, and I noticed with Gail, you know, you're, you're asking a lot of questions, right? It's not just a monologue about this is the offer, you know, does this offer make sense? Can we do? And so you ask questions within that framework, one to elicit responses and 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 really build a great rapport with people when you do ask a lot of great questions. And they're not that difficult yeah. to ask. You know, just no, shift your statements to a question, right, Gail? Absolutely, a great way. Um, if, if you're on the phone um, to find out somebody's personality style, is to uh, listen to the answer to destri- describe your home to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can find out real quick uh, whether they're um, uh, somebody who's compliant, if they're a D, if they're a high I, S's are, I don't know what those people are. But uh, it'll tell you, it, you can find out their personality style quickly. Yeah, yeah. Just yep, on absolutely. saying, we can describe your home to me. Just yeah. Actually, I have a question to uh, off of that because when I ask that question, it seems like some people are like, they tell me, well, what do you mean describe my home to me? Like, you're going to see when you get here, or they'll say stuff like, you see it online kind of thing. So I, perhaps it's the way I'm, I'm, I'm asking it or the people that's replying to it, but I thought maybe perhaps I ask it in a way like, what's, um, what do you love about your home most or something? Could you help me with that? Uh, well, if they say something, then I would probably go back to and say, well, can you tell me any upgrades that you've done either cosmetically or with some of the systems in the last two to five years? Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. You know, usually when I ask somebody, can you please describe your home to me, they'll, they'll say, you know, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, blah, 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 you know, this and that. If it's somebody who's technical, they'll they'll tell me, you know, the SEER rating of their HVA system, which I'm like this, what? Um, and if it's a driver, they'll just say three-bedroom, two-bathroom, built in 88, and call it a day. Right. Right. Yeah, and to that point, too, Elias, if you, you know, to help through that process, you could also um, say, you know, so uh, since I haven't, if you have seen the house, you know, you'd probably want to iterate some things around, by the way, I know when I saw your house, I didn't ask you, by the way, do you have any upgrades that I didn't ask you about or should I be aware of when I'm putting together my market analysis for the property, right? So that's if you've seen that. So if you haven't seen it and you ask that question and you, and you might go this route, I've done it intermittently, you know, kind of informally because it's my nature and experience probably is one other thing. But I would say, you know, so Elias, so I can be uh, uh, fully prepared. Since I haven't seen your house, can you give me an overview of what your house might look like? And I'll make some notes so it can help me put the numbers together better. And they'll give me that, and then I'll say any upgrades, any challenges we might be looking at as far as roof problems, electrical, things like that. So it's kind of partly of how you pose that if that comes up and just respond accordingly, and you'll be fine. 
you'll be fine. Yeah, another good another good question on that too is that if you were to rate your home on a scale of one to ten, one being poor and yeah. ten being perfect, what would you rate it? And the, they might go, well, it's an eight, and say, okay, it's an eight, that's good. What would make it a ten? That's beautiful. Yep. Anybody Any other questions? <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Elijah. Thank you. Yeah. So, guys, everybody's got the answers full out. Any questions on anything at all that you're dealing with, take advantage. Gail is very inexpensive today. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gail, I have, a, I have another question, actually. Um, if you receive a, uh, you know, somebody calls into the office or they, uh, somebody you know referred yourself to them, you know, and they call you up basically their buyer, right? And so you mentioned yeah. the buyer's agreement. And right. um, so would you go through with them what they're looking for or right off the cuff say, okay, well, this is how I work, blah, 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 or do you set up for a meeting for them to sit down, you don't do it over the phone? What's the best way to handle that? There's two parts, and, and it, it would be setting up the meeting, and, and when you're setting up that appointment for them to come in, you're going to go through the part about whether they're paying cash or financing and when are they looking to purchase and just getting some basic information and saying, well, let me, sh let me show you how I work. We're going to go ahead and set up an appointment. In fact, I've got time today at 3, or would tomorrow be better? Are you the only decision maker on buying this home? No, it's my husband too. So your husband will be able to come as well, correct? Well, no, he won't be available until um, Friday. Okay, well, let's schedule it at Friday because I'm sure he's part of this decision-making process. We want to make sure that we make the most of your time and you get them in for that appointment and get them either their pre-approval or their proof of funds for purchase. That's, that's great. Yeah, I've got a script. I'll share that script with you. I got it from my friend Mike Husson. You ever heard of him? <laughs> yeah, Mike Husson. I have heard of him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's there's a whole buyer script for the setting the appointment, and then once they actually come in and going through the consultation. Yeah. Again, uh, again, guys, that's you know you're negotiating. I, I I learned this years ago that everything is negotiable. Everything that we do, our contracts are negotiable. Yeah, you have it in writing. It's the FAR bar or whatever state you're from coming in. I see some people from uh, from Colorado on the call here in Nevada. But every every contract is negotiable, right? And also all of your uh, uh, your negotiating scheduling, you're negotiating the husband and the wife being there together versus one party being the only person there. And, and you guys keep in mind that this is, if once you have down the necessary things in order for you to get a contract signed, right, then you'll, you have to step into what is the best thing that's going to make that happen. So if a seller says to you or if a buyer says to you or whomever says, well, my, my significant other, I'll be politically correct in these days, my wife, my husband, my partner, whatever, is not going to be here, you have to step up and say, I can't be there unless they are there or we can't meet unless or let's get them together. When would that happen? Because you don't want to go in because you know what's going to happen. It's very normal. You're not going to be able to get a contract signed. And they're going to say, well, I've got to talk to my husband. And you're going to say, well, okay, can we – and you're going to typically lose that deal. If not, you know, not always, but you're going to, oh, you did such a great job, and I'm definitely my husband will love you, and he's going to want to sign this paperwork. And then you call him back to follow up, and he says he decided against it because he didn't like the price, right? We need everybody to the party to help negotiate the understanding of why you came with those numbers, why this offer is what it is, and so on. So very, very important part of this negotiation process. All right. So, Gail, any other uh, parting thoughts? Um, guys, any, if anybody have any other questions, take advantage now. Otherwise, we're going to wrap this up. And, uh, Comments, and, criticisms, things you do differently. I have a question. Please. Thank Hi. You, well, thank you for all the information, and thank you, Mike, for putting this together. It's great. It's been very informative. Um, being that the market has slowed, can you give us any other tips of, besides what you've already mentioned of what you're doing in order to keep production up? 
Anything else? Keep doing what I'm, I'm just doing what I always do, making phone calls, yep. setting appointments, right? Um, mm-hmm. My market hasn't slowed too much in all areas. That one that I told you that went from four months of inventory to 11, 11 months of inventory was in a specific price point. Um, okay. But I actually, my last four months of the year have been better than the first eight. Um, I think I think there's always work for those people who work, right? Uh-huh. The days of just okay. answering the phone to get a deal are, you know, that, you know, is good sometimes. But when that goes away, you have to go out and find business. There's always people that are buying and selling. So um, it's just a matter of getting in front of them and, and just keep doing what you're doing, right? And following up, right? And checking in with past mm-hmm. clients and checking in with your sphere of influence and doing your geo farming and wearing a shirt that says, hey, ask me about real estate. You know, whatever it takes, just go out there and talk to people. And Kim, she does wear a shirt that says that. And on the other side is, you didn't sign anything with me on the back side of the shirt. So... <laughs> <laughs> but yet, and, and to that point, and that's a great question, Kim, you know, and Kim's down here in the Gables uh, area, uh, Gail, and uh-huh. they're in, the, in a price point that is slowing a bit, even stopping in some cases. Um, but to this point of, of Kim and everybody that this technique or this, this understanding, this, this skill set of negotiating when we do finally get people is very, very, and I don't want to sound redundant here, but I will be, and that is it's very important to know this because we don't want to lose what we've got. On the other side, to uh, to Gail's point, is being more productive, right? And, yeah, you'll have to dig a little bit deeper in some areas because maybe things have slowed down, but to Gail's point, there's always going to have a need. There's always going to be people that have a need. Not everybody has a need, but there always is going to be a need to buy or sell because people are shifting and they're jiving and they're uh, relocating or they're upsizing or they're downsizing or they got pregnant and they need a bigger home or they the kids left the home and they need a smaller home so there's it's it's up to us to in and to it's incumbent upon us to go out there and and look for those opportunities as and as gail said not wait for them to come to us um yes if they do if the referral comes in but they're not going to come in if we don't call our database Right. Yeah. So we gotta. So we gotta. We gotta work the. We gotta work the deal. Right. And it's like any muscle. We go to the gym. We don't work out once and we're fit for life. No, you gotta consistently work it. And when this market shifts, and it will, guys. And it's not nothing bad, as I said in my notes, and I've been saying this for the last several months. It's nothing bad. Again, we're coming into a shift in psychology. We've gone from 2008 when the market crashed. Now we're at a very higher peak. People have made a lot of profit. Um, and you want to go into understanding that if these things occur, you know, the wealthy have money, but they're going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to wait until it comes down a little bit before I invest, right? So right. Um, you might deal, be, be dealing with a motivated seller who needs to sell, and that's going to be great. Or you're dealing with a person who has a lot of money, especially in the wealth arena. You know what? We don't need to sell. We'd like to sell if we could get our number, but we don't need to sell. So you're going to have to be fighting a little bit better or negotiating a clearer understanding of their motivation and seeing what that might look like so you can engage them in saying, okay, you know what? Based on what we've talked about, I do now would, I really would like to sell versus I want to sell before. Now I really would like to because now I really want to take advantage. I tell people today, I say, listen, if you want to sell your home, get move it, take the equity out, and then go negotiate a better deal somewhere else. So you're really moving the money. You know, if you really want to sell for a particular reason, like a smaller house, not just for greed, then you can negotiate that whole process out. So upping your business, as Gail said, you've got to be uh, really, you know, percolating, you know, circulating and percolating, whatever they say in the old days in sales, you know, you want to... You right. Percolate, you got to circulate, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's just upping well, the number. In, in, in that in that same vein, too, is you know, if if a certain segment of your market is slowing, move into another segment. So, mm. you know, I might have, you know, I've got a property closing at eight hundred thousand and one at one point two, and I just had one at three hundred. So, you know, maybe you want to take a look at the stats and see what is selling in your marketplace. 
what's the price point? And maybe that's where you need to go after if everything else is stagnant. So, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a, a very important point, and you got to be diversified. You know, in in the markets here as they are, and they're and especially now when they're sh- you know slowing a little bit, you got to diversify. Doesn't mean you ignore things that are not moving, but as they say, you know, still water creates mosquitoes, right? And so if we want to go to where there's movement. One, it'll generate cash flow for you. Okay, there's no harm in selling a $300,000 home if you're coming from selling $3 million homes. There's nothing wrong with it because the millionaire is the reason why he's got that $3 million home is because he sold products at a dollar a piece and made a, and made a boatload of money. So there's nothing uh, bad about it. And, and, there's, and it's frankly, it's a good positioning for you to want to keep the flow coming in your business when there's, when there's movement. If, if I have a days on market at 300 at 30 days and I've got a days on market at 240 days at a million I'm gonna I yeah sure I'll get the nice commission at the million but it's gonna take me a year to get there and I can amortize that out and I could have been making money today and, and enjoying my life a little bit easier yeah is it a little bit you know psychologically uh, you know oh my gosh I'm going from this to that you're not you're a business person you got to run your business accordingly and you got to do it according to the market conditions and you flow with it okay when the market comes to a point where you go back up you'd go back up you know and if you want to hang out there and you got plenty of money to stay in the higher end perfectly fine I don't have any problem with that as long as you're okay with it I don't think it's the best business decision myself I think you need to keep the flow coming and one and minimally <laughs> the good part about it, you're going to keep your skills going because while you're sitting on a on a two million dollar house it's going to sit there for two years you're not doing anything hoping that commission is going to come in guys you need to be working on your skills and being active and talking to people get you better at selling get you better at getting more business and it keeps you on top of your game when we are stagnant we lose our mindset we get depressed we get unhappy we lose our skill set you know yeah we can get back on the bike and get back at it again but at the end of the day you still got to get to a point where you can drive on the where you can ride on the bicycle free-handed ultimately when you get back on the track so um embellishment there kim <laughs> great thank you thank you both so much thank you're, you. you're very welcome thank you for being here okay all right guys so anybody else before we wind this down we went a little bit longer but hey you know what it's all about value you want to bring to you guys we're done thank you yeah thank you so much Gail thank you thank uh, Mike you. appreciate it thank you guys thank I appreciate you. your time uh, you'll be getting a recopy of this recording listen to it and if you have any questions you know send them to us and uh, I'll be sure to pass them on to Gail sure I'm sure she'll be more than happy to answer them uh, at her time and then we'll make that happen guys thanks for your time go make it a great rest of the day and we will talk to you later Gail Thank you so much for your time. Totally respected, and we appreciate you. Okay? Hey, appreciate you all. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank okay, you. guys. Bye. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great day.